Dear Lord, thank you so much for the day that you've given us. This December morning, uh, Christmas is right around the corner. And we're thankful, Lord. We have thankful hearts and uh, we come here to meet with you this morning as we endeavor to have more of Christ and less of more, you know, as we talked about recently. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us the faith and the understanding to know you and to know your ways a little better than we used to, to know that without you we're nothing, can do nothing, have nothing. And so help us today, Lord. Use me to spread your message of love and hope and grace and truth that it will bear fruit in those hearers' lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in the world that we live in, let's just say in the country we live in, because we don't know much about the rest of the world, frankly. I think we have... uh, we have a unique situation here in these these times where there's church on every corner. It's a nation that, no matter how they dispute it and fight against it, it is a nation built upon God's principles and His Word and all of our foundations and history basically stem from that, even though there were terrible mistakes made. Uh, we're one of the few countries that can claim that we've overcome those things and so it's it's been a a godly thing we've sent more evangelists and missionaries into the world than anyone we are by far the largest givers and our country is truly blessed no doubt but the devil when he you ever heard the phrase when you can't lick them join them well, the devil, that's, that's the part that he likes to play. He likes to, first of all, make people think he doesn't exist. If he can get people to think that there's not a literal devil's hell and that they don't have anything to worry about that, that we're all God's children and that God loves us all and that we're all okay, then he loves that. And he'll, he has a lot of people in the church, the devil does. And now this is Jesus' words. He let the, the wheat and the tares grow together, he said. And then the angels are going to differentiate and they're going to put the sickle to this harvest field. And I believe it's going to be soon. The problem that we run into, and if you've been around church much, or churches, and um, or on, well... If you have a lot of experience talking about God and knowing people that do, you know that in this nation we have a real thing now with the grace of God has really caught on, hasn't it? Matter of fact, they've made grace into a doctrine, a a teaching, a methodology of sorts. uh, And and that would be okay if it was coupled with The other necessary ingredient, which is truth. But when, but the grace of God without the truth of God is meaningless. And just the truth of God without the grace of God is mean. (laughs) It'll destroy you. In other words, the law by itself is, it's, it's impossible for us to keep and it will destroy us trying. It'll make us legalistic and mean and. And it's mean to us. But there, there is a grace because of Jesus, isn't there? Yes. And the truth is you can't separate the grace of God from Jesus Christ. There is no grace without Jesus Christ. The grace of God is not only... The, the common definition for the grace of God is the... The unearned, unmerited favor of God, right? 
And that's true in a sense. It is, there, there's nothing we can do to earn it. Um, and it is God's favor. But it's also his power working in and, and for us. Amen? Amen? It's important to understand that because as you get into this message, what's on my heart today, we're going we're gonna to grow in our understanding of that. Because I and maybe some of you have seen entire churches destroyed regarding a false claim about the grace of God. And it happened, it's happening all over the nation. And there are church splits and then they do away with, uh, with things. They, they relegate the Bible to an old book written by men about God. And instead of a, God, a book written by God through men. And when you do that and you don't realize that all scripture is God breathed. And that this is a, a living document. It's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So the word by itself will kill you. But the spirit of this word gives life. I want to read from John, the Gospel of John, the first chapter, starting at the ninth verse through the 17th. John, nine, John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1, starting at the ninth verse. The true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, raise your hand, we're talking about Jesus. For all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So, reading that scripture, is everyone a child of God? Does God want them to be? Yes. But it makes it very clear to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We know this is the salvation experience, being truly born again, which John, which Jesus described to Nicodemus when he came to him at night in John 3, 3. Unless you're a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 14, and the word, capital W, that's Jesus, became flesh. That's why I say Jesus the Bible is Jesus with eyeballs. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Can you imagine John writing this? I, I saw God. You know, I, I was with him for three and a half years. We've seen his glory. Glory as the, of the only son from the father. Look here. Full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, talking about John the Baptist. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In other words, he was from the beginning. He is God. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Praise God. So, I just want to focus in on this because, I mean, it, it's the name of this church. This is the scripture from where I, I got the name for the ministry before it was ever a church. And because I, it's that important. And it's that important to God that people understand this. This is why true discipleship in the word, not just saying a prayer and being converted in a sense, and then being sent back into the world, because a lot of times that person's state is worse off than before. Without true discipleship, you're not going to be prepared for the things to come, which are not going to get better. 
They're going to get worse. Now, I believe that as Christians, we can expect, just as I, I already do and am already a partaker of, to, to uh, reap a harvest, a bountiful harvest, twofold, double, or triple, or tenfold in a time of famine. So as Christians, there's always hope and there's always prosperity for the children of God. If we learn how to cooperate with God and walk in not only the grace of God, but the truth of God. Let's look over in 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter two the twenty fourth verse all the way back in the back, right before the the epistles of John, first, second, third John. First Peter two twenty four. I'm just going to read that real quick. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. This is Jesus talking about the cross. He bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So... Here's a picture of grace and truth. That's why I love this scripture. We mostly quote this scripture to show that that we have physical healing as part of our salvation. But look at the first part of this. He bore our sins on his body on the tree. That's grace. Grace for forgiveness, isn't it? Because he took our sins... We're forgiven. He has made a way back into the throne room of God. Back into relationship with God for us. By taking the death penalty that we deserved. And so God has made a way where there was none. So there's grace for forgiveness there. You see also by his wounds you've been healed. So there's grace for healing. Because it's, it's the favor and the power of God working in our lives, right? So there's grace for healing for our bodies. The grace of God also provides for, for lots of things. People say, oh, well, I'm not into this prosperity message. Really? So, so what do you preach? Poverty? <laughs> because poverty is part of the curse. And Jesus bore the curse on his body on the tree. Everyone hung on a tree is a curse. So he bore the curse on his body on the tree as well. So, so we don't have to put up with that anymore. And if you think that prosperity is a bad message, then you must not understand the rest of the scriptures that say we're blessed to be a blessing, basically. And so... God doesn't want you. It takes money to do the things that God calls us to do. It takes finances. So yeah, I'm a prosperity teacher because prosperity with God, through the grace of God, not only provides for the finances that we need to be a blessing and to provide for ourselves and to keep us out of poverty and to provide for the the growth of the kingdom of God, but also for the forgiveness of our sins and prosperity for, for peace in our minds and our emotional life. For, for relationships. There's a grace for all of that. Everything to do with the Christian life. He has provided by the grace of God. Through the atonement. So yeah. I'm all about. Everyone that hears me preach. I want you to prosper. To be born again. There's a grace right there. Just to be born again. And freed from your sin. And sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. To be healed in your mind and to be healed in your body and to have peace and to have prosperous relationships. 
So, yeah. But also, we see here the truth of God. That you might, he, why did he do this? There's just a comma separating the fact that he did it for us. He bore our sins on his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see that? So where do people get off saying that, hey, the grace of God covers my sin? It didn't cover anything. It provides. It provides not only the favor of God, but the power of God to overcome. Look back to Romans chapter 6. The first book after the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Romans. Or, I mean, Acts, then Romans. Sorry. Second book of the after the Gospels. Romans chapter 6. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Yeah. This is good stuff, huh? Oh, yeah. Because, because, because in, you're going to have people in your families, in your work, in the world that you meet and and uh, and they're going to know things like going to church don't make you saved you know they'll tell you that all the time uh well thank god for the grace of god because i you know i believe in jesus and he 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 paid for my sins and he you know i do the best i can and he 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 covers the rest this is not the grace of god and so we're learning about how the grace and truth of God work together and they have to they have to be together. They have to be understood and they have to work together for there to be a real relationship with Jesus. R- Romans chapter 6 starting at the first verse. I'm just going to read. What shall we say then? This is This is saying that the old man is gone. He's just been describing how the old man is gone. We have peace with God now through faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And that first Adam that we received the seed from when we were born, as did everyone ever since the Garden of Eden, which was a corrupted seed, a fallen seed, a sinful seed, which gave you the sin nature, is gone now that you received Jesus. It's been evicted and the Spirit of God, the, the, the life of Jesus Christ, the, the last Adam came in and it's perfect and holy. And now you're, you're, you've been sealed with that promised Holy Spirit. And because of all that, the, the grace of God has abounded in your life. And now we come to chapter 6 and Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, and he put an exclamation point. They say in the Hebrew that, uh, or the Greek that, that he, he used the most, the strongest language he could without cussing. <laughs> How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see that? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. Do you see that? Verse 7 and 8. For one who has died, in other words, the spiritual rebirth, Our old man is dead. The new man is alive unto Christ. And that man has been set free from sin. We had a sin nature. A bondage to sin. In other words you could say the devil made me do it. And you were sort of right before. But now as a born again Christian to say I can't help it. 
You're not really understanding the grace of God because the grace of God is not just the forgiveness of the sins you commit, but the power to live free of the ones you think about committing. Hello. Oh, that's good. (laughs) God didn't come to deliver us from sin so we could go live in sin. It was to break the power of sin in our lives so we could live free from sin and live unto righteousness. Why? Because He loves us so much. God is holy, isn't He? He's not going to change and become like us. He's going to always be holy. And what is holiness? That word scares people sometimes. Holiness is walking in love, really. God's kind of love, the agape kind of love, not worldly love that's in it for itself, but the kind of love that gives from its heart, from itself, and without any care or motivation of repayment. Knowing that the repayment comes from God. Because everything's in seed form and God blesses the seed of its kind and re- provides seed back to the sower, multiplied, doesn't he? So if we sow seeds of bitterness and anger and strife, we can look for some more of that back, unfortunately. Unless, what do I, what do I teach about that? What is one of the benefits of being a Christian uh, in farming terminology. We can believe for some crop failure, can't we? We can go run back to the Father and repent and dig up some of that seed before it takes root and bears fruit, can't we? Praise God. <laughs> and so we're just looking for the harvest of the good stuff. But man, that's awesome. And people need to understand that. So it's so sad to me when people just think that they live any way they want to and call it that they're under grace. But the Bible says that if you're under grace, you're you're not going to sin anymore. Now listen, we all make mistakes. As long as I'm in this body, I I don't want to sin. Like I was explaining before we started today, you know, as Christians who really love God and you're maturing, you, you can't keep on sinning. All the things you used to do, it drops away. It falls away. But we go through things in our minds, you know. Sometimes we just want to give up. That's a sin. But listen, I got good news about some of that too. So we're just going to press on here real quick so we can get through some, some of the things that are on my, my heart here. But the fact is that a lot of people are out there trying to earn God's favor in their lives still too, aren't they? Even if they don't say it that way, they think that if I don't do right, God is not going to do good to me. In other words... Do good, get good. Do bad, get beat. Is that uh, a fair assessment of God's character? No, it's not. And I'll tell you why. Because God is love. God, for the same reason that everybody's not saved. But they go on saying, we're all children of God. God loves us all. We're all okay. Where's the devil in that? Well, we all came from God. And God does certainly love us all. But we're not all His children. God does love us all. And it's independent of our actions. Is the point I'm trying to make. The grace of God is based on the character of God. Not our conduct. It's 
It's not my character or my holiness that causes God to use me as a pastor. I was chosen to do this when? When I repented and came to God and went and told him I wanted to be a preacher and would he would he use me somehow and finally he agreed because I got really really good and I got rid of that old junk out of my life? Nope. In my mother's womb. In my mother's womb he called me. Just like he did Jeremiah. The purpose for you The destiny for you was planned by God before you ever came here in your mother's womb. He had it all the days of your life planned out. Now, if you live them out, it's up to you in in many ways. I didn't have to become a pastor. I could have have, uh, walked away from God, even though he, 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 he spoke to me. He came to me in dreams and showed me without a doubt exactly what I was supposed to do. And so, in a way, it's very easy to just know that no matter what happens, I'm just going to do what God has told me to do. And because a place called there, wherever God tells you to be, that's where your provision is. And if we start going by our sight instead of our faith, we're going to get off track. It looks like things, I know God told me to be here, but it looks like things would be better for me over here. So I think I'm going to help him out a little bit and I'm going to position myself over there. Well, no, you just miss God. That's why when people talk about coming to church or leaving church or this and that, I say, great. Both ways. Because I've known a lot of preachers that are trying to build kingdoms under themselves. They think that they need to, they take ownership of God's sheep, God's children. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to try to do that. We all belong to him. We all have a place to, to grow and to serve. We all have a different part to play. But I want people to be wherever God has put upon their heart that that's where they're supposed to be. And that's why I tell them, because I I literally mean that. I know that everybody, I know that most of the body of Christ is out of position, but I also know that that doesn't matter because God hasn't changed and he still has a way that is perfect. And if people would get where they're supposed to be, if they'd go somewhere based on their prayer life instead of what, you know, is available for them where they, you know, in other words, well, we can get off into that. But you know what, what I'm saying? I believe that everyone has a place where they're supposed to be planted. And if they will stay planted, they will definitely grow. And that's where they're supposed to be serve and everything. And in that sense, they feel more of a part of it because if they're where they, God has called them to, then they're as much a part of that church as the pastor is. You know, like that that commercial, that my H-E-B. I have my H-E-B right up there on Barker Cypress. I love that store. They do it right. Mm -hmm. But people should feel that way about their church as well. And it will cause them to roll up their sleeves and to to be seeking God. What do you have for me? You know, because he has something for everybody. And then we would all grow more and mature more and and prosper more in every area of our life. And we're going to see a lot of that. Here, I know that already. And I'm thankful for that. But isn't that, doesn't that free you up? The grace of God is not based on your performance or your conduct. It's based on God's character. The grace of God has already been established. When Jesus died on the cross, there was an exchange that was made. All of his, all of our bad for all of his good. Without listing everything out. But some of the things I mentioned. Forgiveness and eternal life. And and uh, he bore the curse. So we be, may be blessed now. And, and he became poor. So that we might be rich. He By his stripes. When he was beaten. We were healed. And, and all the wonderful things that took place. That was established 2,000 years ago. 
So all the promises of in in of in Christ are yes and amen. Okay, well then why isn't everybody saved? Because Jesus forgave this, they forgave God has forgiven the sins of the whole world. Is everybody forgiven? Is everybody saved? Because the the grace of God without the truth of God is meaningless. And we know that to receive the grace of God it requires a faith response. So until we come to the Lord in truth, humble ourselves, repent of our sins and ask God to come in and say we know that Jesus died for our sins and and ask him to come into our heart and be our Lord and Savior, then there's no and mean it, then there's there's no faith response toward that grace for forgiveness. So we haven't received it yet. We have to turn our receivers on and that's by faith. Now that works for every part of our life. We're okay with trusting him with our eternity. I really believe Jesus died for my sins and I've asked him to be my Lord and Savior. So I'm good. I'm, I'm going to heaven. Most Christians will tell you that. And eternity is a long time. <laughs> We're only here for a flicker. But it always strikes me as interesting, to say the least, how they can entrust someone they haven't seen with their eternity, but not with the flicker of time that we're here, not with the health for their bodies, not with their finances, not with their marriage, not with their jobs, not with everything regarding us, because he truly does care and he wants to be involved. So why, if the grace of God was established 2,000 years ago, and it's already said yes and amen, and it's basically in an account for you and me and everyone who decides to operate in faith toward it. I don't even like saying it when I'm talking about grace because it's him. You can't separate the grace of God from Jesus. So when we operate in faith towards him and his promises for us, we have total access to the grace of God. So if, if it's not dependent upon my conduct that I receive it, but faith, then why do I live a holy life? Why, am I, why do I live for righteousness? Well, I do it so that the devil can't come and steal from me. Can't kill Steal, kill, and destroy. Because that's his goal. He wants you dead, for starters. He wants to steal the word from you. Because without the word, you have no defense against him. You have no knowledge or understanding of who he is or what he is or what he's doing and what God is doing. And you don't, you're crippled. And he can take advantage of you. Eat your lunch and pop the bag. <laughs> So I live holy to prevent those spiritual doors from being reopened into my life that Jesus has freed me from. Those spiritual demonic doors that allow Satan to come in and, and wreak havoc in my world. It's not so God will love me. He never stopped. He's always there. That's why I tell people run to God. He knows you. He already knows everything about you. He knew it before he ever saved you. And he loves you anyway. <laughs> That's what gets me. How awesome is that? But so many times we get into condemnation over some silly thing that we're, we can't seem to break in our lives. And next thing you know, we stop going to church. We stop talking to godly people who will point us back to God and what God says. And we just get off into ourselves, introspective and condemned. And we just say, man, I, I, I'm not going anymore. I just feel like too much of a hypocrite. And that's the exact opposite of what we should be doing. Because I'm here to tell you right now, we all 
have struggles one way or another. Now, hopefully, those struggles are more along the lines of our negative emotions. Because when we go, when we stand before God, He's not going to judge us on our our work, our businesses, our this and that. It's all going to be attitudes and relationships. And so that's really where our our struggles are. And hopefully the big things are, or have fallen away, but sometimes they don't. There are some people that just can't quit smoking. There are some people that can't quit drinking. There are some people that can't quit doing this, that, and the other. But the, I say they can't, but in and of themselves they can't. For the same reason Samson, remember last week, Samson couldn't push down that whole theater or coliseum or whatever with his own bare hands without the grace of God working in his life. It wasn't Samson plus a little bit of God. It was all God. And as long as we're thinking we have to do it, then we're never going to get it done. There has to be a revelation of the grace of God being for us, for God being for us and his power working for us and and just putting our trust in that. It gets easier over time, the more things that are broken off in our lives. And as we see the track record of God working in our lives and what he's done, he's done a huge favor for me in that he very seldom does it thing the same way twice. And I was talking to one of his <coughs> children recently, and I was explaining to them that, that it's very hazardous to put God in a box. Not because it's going to make God mad. Because it's going to mess up your receiver. If you're expecting it and and basically you're demanding that it, he bless you in a, in a certain way. Or he helps you in a certain way. Or he's done this before so now that's all you're waiting for is that particular. He's going to do it different. He's going to do it different. He just he cracks me up that way. Just because he can. But it's always beautiful and it's always good and it's always just just right at the time. But we need to understand that <coughs> we, live, we live a holy life so that we don't open doors. We live a holy life to the devil. We live a holy life so we don't destroy our witness. Because so many do. There are, I, I know a guy that, and I, I, I love him and... Uh, and uh, but his his own pastor used to say, this guy has brought four thousand people to this church, and he's offended every one of them. He was a great evangelist, talked to everyone about the Lord, and had a good personality, had a way of just getting people to come to church. And then he would get involved with some sort of shady business deal or sell him a car that was a junk or not have a title or do something weird and he would offend them and and then they'd fall away and who knows they might you know when people are babies in christ and they get offended by someone that they believed was godly in their life and and they don't have a real relationship with god yet they're basing their relationship with god on that person and that person falls it, it really can do some damage so you know, that's one of the things. We don't want to open doors for the devil. We don't want to destroy our witness. And lastly, it just isn't who we are anymore. Like Paul said, how can we go on living in sin when we dead to sin? That's not who we are. It's, it's not our identity anymore. That's why I say Christians that are really born again, that go on living in sin, they're the hypocrite because they're trying to act like, not because they're trying to act uh, like holy. That's what the world says. Oh, he goes to church, but I know him. I see him on Thursday night. No, on Thursday night is when he's the hypocrite because he really is a godly person if he understands who he is in the spirit, who God has made him to be. And he's out here trying to still act like the world, but usually it's like, this is that's not even fun anymore. You know, that's what happens to me. We, I, I think I try to go a few places after I really got the baptism of the Holy Spirit to do things like that and Tavana and I just look at each other like, man, this this has lost its appeal, yeah. you know, and because you have a hunger for the righteousness that has been birthed in you, 
And you want to grow in that. You want Jesus. You want His people. You want good things. Godly things. I say that you can get so full of the truth that you can't stand the lie. But you have to be careful that you temper that with grace. So the grace and truth of God have to be working together in our lives. I want to show you a picture of this. We still good? Yeah. Let's look at John chapter 8. Go back to John. Look at John chapter 8. We'll give an example or two. Since we're talking about grace and truth, let's find them working together. John chapter 8. Let me just start. This is uh, at the first verse. This is a familiar passage of Scripture and beautiful. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So Jesus is just we're in a situation like this. We just just sit and talking about the word of God, the kingdom of God. The scribes and the Pharisees, there comes the religious leaders of the day. These the the ones that were full of the truth of God, but no grace of God. And it made them mean. And they were wicked. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, didn't bring the man. It was illegal for him too, but they didn't bring him. And placing her in the midst, in other words, they set her right in front of everybody to be shamed and mocked and gawked at. They said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. They're doing this to try to catch him in something that they can get him for. Because Jesus had been preaching love and forgiveness and grace But he was also living under the law. The law of Moses was in full effect. And so for him to deny the law, he would be stoned. And for him to deny the the grace and the love and forgiveness he'd been talking about, he would lose all the people who were listening to him because they would say he's just fake. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. can only imagine what Jesus is writing on the ground. We hear people joke about this all the time. But, you know, with that same finger he had written on those first tablets of stone the original ten commandments so he knew he knew the law they didn't need to quote it to him and he also knew every one of their hearts and he knew the sins they had all committed so he said as they continued to ask him he stood up and said to them let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground but they But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, for obvious reasons. You know, with those of us who've been around a while, we've sinned more than the younger ones, and we know it. And Jesus was, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone. And so all of them eventually left. The younger ones who were, you know, a little cocky, and I've never done nothing wrong, which is silly. They they finally realized they were wrong too, and all their, their mentors had left, so they left too. And they were right to do so, because they'd all been, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? No one, has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So there's grace and truth working together. Jesus didn't say, go and be free. Just go do what you want to do. Go continue doing what you were doing. Or or, uh, there's nothing wrong with what you were doing. But... He said that neither do I condemn you. Now, he's the only one who was qualified to condemn her because he was the only one there that was without sin in his life. So it wasn't because he was just like the others. 
No. But he didn't condemn her because he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world and provide, make us be the sacrifice for their sins. So he told her, neither do I condemn you. But he said, now go and sin no more. So there's the truth. The grace of God was that, hey, I don't condemn you. But the truth is of God is don't don't go and sin anymore. I, it, don't, it, it's, it was a sin. It is a sin. And you don't want to keep doing that. Don't do that. Based on the grace that I've given you, that should be empowering to allow you to go and live a life free from that sin. Let's look at a more clear picture of this. Look in John, just back up a few pages to John chapter 5. This is a man that was at the, the, the pool of Bethesda and he was paralyzed. Let's just read from the first verse of chapter 5, John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, five for grace. <clears throat> in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? <laughs> the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water stirred up, an angel would stir the water. And whenever it was stirred, whoever the first one to get in there would be healed. And, and he came to Jesus with excuses. First of all, you need to decide if you even want to be, but that's a whole other message. He said, uh, the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now there's a powerful message of the grace of God right there. Jesus, if he did it for one, he'll do it for you. He's no respecter of persons. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. That's just like, that's why it's so powerful when we see things in here. The gifts and promises of God are without repentance. And we see when the, the leper said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. In other words, you can heal me. And he, he reached out his hand and touched someone that it was illegal to even be in contact with. I'm willing. Be healed. And he was healed. So now we don't have to ask if he's willing. We know he's able. And now we know he's willing. Because he is no respecter of persons. If he did it for that guy. He'll do it for you today. Amen. Where was I? What verse? Let's see. So. He took up his bed and walked. So he was healed. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. So he's still making excuses. <laughs> they asked him, who is the man who said it to you? Take up your bed and walk. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Look at this verse here. I want you to mark this if you have your Bible. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Praise God. Do you see that? So, so much for... The grace of God being a license to sin. Who knows what this guy did? You know, sometimes sin comes, I mean, sometimes sickness and other aspects of the curse come into our lives because of things that we've done. It's just the truth. Other times, we may have come with it. It might be a generational curse or something like that. 
And other times, it's just because there's sin in the world. This is a fallen world and bad things happen to good people. Remember the guy that was, that was blind from birth and the disciples came and asked Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, when did he sin to be born blind? <laughs> and Jesus said neither. So the point is, sometimes sin, bad things happen just because sin is in the world. The devil is going to do his worst. Amen. So if we if we have known sin in our lives, yeah, we need to repent. We can close some doors right there. But other times, don't be so. Don't bring condemnation on yourself, uh, and 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 just be trying to figure out what you've done wrong. Now you know. It's me. I know it's me. I've done. You don't always have time to worry about that. Besides, Jesus has forgiven you of your sins. It's good to stay in close contact with him. If there's known sin, repent of it. Make it right with him, with that person. If you can, if you can't, make it right with God. But sometimes bad things happen to good people. But the point about this is for 38 years, this man had been crippled and been laying out there trying to get himself over to this pool where the angel would stir up now and again and every single time somebody would jump in front of him. What worse could happen? How much worse can his life get? He may have sinned to bring this upon his, his own life because Jesus says sin no more otherwise something worse may happen. Do you see that? Did he say I, God's going to do something worse to you? No. He didn't. But the grace of God that Jesus provided to heal this man, just as important, I believe, was the truth that Jesus shared with him about sin. God has healed you, but now go live, go live right. Go live a life of thankfulness and gratitude and don't get back into the things that God has freed you from because the devil is waiting, going around like a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. Whom may he devour? Anyone who opens up that door and invites him in. The grace of God is beautiful. But it doesn't cover sin. It breaks the power of sin in our lives. Grace is God's strength and power working in our lives. And we access that grace by faith. That's why the grace of God isn't working in everyone's life. Matter of fact, if they talk about the grace of God and they don't know Jesus Christ, then they don't know what they're talking about. Because it can't be grace if it's not Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who's provided the grace of God for all those who would become the children of God by believing on Him and putting their faith in Him. Romans 5.2 teaches us that the our faith is what gives us access into the grace of God. This is another... If, you, if, you, if you're trying to share this with anyone, that's a... It's very fundamental that you that you know that scripture too. It's Romans five two. It says we now have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see? So it's faith that cooperates with God to retrieve the grace that's already been provided, already established. We're not trying to get God to do something. He's already done it. That's what's so cool. And if we can ever get a revelation of this, we will get a lot better at learning to walk in faith, trust in God, because it's not something, it's a lot easier to believe for something that's already done than to try to believe to make God do something on your behalf. Well, you don't have to. That's the good news. He's already done it. The answer is yes and amen. If it's a promise of God regarding you, and I can tell you that applies to every aspect of your life. 
And now he's assuming that you're not partnering with the devil in the things that you're asking him for. That should be an assumption that he can make. But other than that, all the good things that you're hoping for, for you and your family and for those around you, the answer is yes. You need to pray and always be praying. But a lot of times when we keep praying for the same thing over and over, when we know it's a... One of the promises that God has made. We just need to be standing in faith. We need to speak it. We need to say it. I already prayed for it. Now I'm just waiting. God's done it. It's mine. There is time. Even in the spiritual realm. You remember when. When Daniel prayed. And God said. And, and, the, and the angel Michael told him. that The moment you prayed. God answered your prayer. But it took him 21 days to get there because he ran into a battle. He had to fight his way there in the spiritual realm, didn't he? He was opposed by demonic forces and it took him three weeks to get to Daniel. And he said, God answered your prayer when you prayed. Now, if he had stopped standing in faith, he wouldn't have received it. And the next time it took about three minutes. But it still was a matter of time. You see, there's time in the spiritual realm. There's a war going on. There's a battle for everything that we want. The devil doesn't. Everything God wants for you, the devil doesn't want you to have it. So you pray and believe and don't stop believing until you receive. And speak and don't speak anything opposite. I've heard so many stories of people that have literally been taken up to heaven and they saw like the uh, parts room where where God was sending new parts to people, legs and arms and limbs and, and organs and stuff like that. And the angels would almost get there and the people would just go, well, I guess God's not answering my prayer and they'd have to go back. Now, whether that's a literal thing or God was showing them that figuratively so that they would have an understanding, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. I know it's a truth. And so we need to stand believing. What's something that you might continue to pray for? The same prayer over and over. Something that has to do with someone's free will, like salvation. Because I know that we're all praying for uh, loved ones and, and friends that have not received God. And we don't want to, uh, I mean, we're not going to turn down heaven, but we would sure like them to be there with us. Amen. I've heard people say, if they're not going, I don't want to be there either. Well, that's foolish. That's foolish. But when God, God will send someone, when you ask for someone, your loved one to be saved, to, to know God and to walk with Him and, and to, to love Him and to know Him and, and all the things that we pray along those lines. God, God sends someone. He sends a word. He sends a person. But they don't have to receive it. They still have a free will to reject. So you keep on praying. Keep bombarding them. And God's going to have His way. So faith, we're almost done here. I know I'm pushing it here, but I want to finish this thought process because it's a whole it's a whole package. Because the grace and truth of God, you see where they're working together. The grace of God to say the grace of God is covering my sin life and He's got me He's got me covered. That's just a lie. Matter of fact, Jude wrote a, a book about it. It's a one page book in the back of the Bible. He was Jesus stepbrother or half brother not stepbrother <laughs> obviously had a different dad right <laughs> but he wanted to write about salvation but he had to write to contend for the faith because people had entered into the church trying to use the grace of God as a license to sin sound familiar it was going on 2000 years ago and it and he was angry about it, and, and uh, you, should, you should take offense at it as well. Not at people, but at the devil for trying to perpetuate this lie, because it gives people a false sense of security, and not only does it lead them astray in their own lives, but they'll lead others astray. And you've seen that at work as well, in people that live like this and continue to live any old way they want to, and they destroy things. They destroy churches, they destroy lives, and they destroy the lives of those that, that are around them if they, if they 
are receiving from them and not directly from God. So it's a it's a lie that needs to be put down. And it's it's perpetuated by the devil. A good way to look at our choices in life. Knowing that it's the faith that God gives us that gives us access into the grace that He's provided. Our trust in Him, our 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 love and understanding that God has provided this for me and his answer for me is yes and I'm standing believing. That's that belief. That's your faith for the grace that you're believing for. How do we know if we're if someone is asking, well, how do you, what, you know, a lot of things people are trying to say are not even sin these days. <laughs> They, the, their universities, Christian universities, I heard about one yesterday that has taken their, their standards of living out of their, their practices. In other words, they had a, they had a, a integrity clauses and things like that as part of their school, as their doctrine, and they've taken that all out. It's not necessary. <laughs> but Romans 14, verse 23 tells us that if it's if something is not based on faith it's sin because that that really boils it down to simplicity so when you what when you when you're making decisions when you sit with god at the end of the day and you're just reflecting and say lord you know how did i do today <laughs> that's what i do a lot of time have i spent the grace you gave me for today i hope i spent it all I hope I've been a blessing to others. And Lord, I know I messed up. I know I, I got angry. I know I did this. I know I did that. And, and I just thank you for forgiving me and helping me to, to be better than that and in that area. But the decisions that I made today, were they all based in faith? Did I, did I bounce it off of your word? Did I bounce it off of you and your ways and your will? Was I bearing my cross? In other words, not your, my will, Lord, but your will be done. Did I check on that before I made my decisions today? And many times we don't. But that's sin. I'll be honest with you. If it's not faith, it's sin. If it's not based on this is what I believe God uh, would have me to do. And a lot of times we make mistakes in that when we're just growing in the in the knowledge and, and truth of God's word. But if we base if we really reflecting and thinking what what would what would God have me to do based on his word and by what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do, we might still make a mistake, but that was still a good thing that you did. Because he will correct you in that. He'll help you there. He'll honor that mistake better than he would one that was just you just doing your own thing because that's what you wanted. You didn't want to know what he thought about it because you were afraid it might not agree with what you wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's more common, right? And that's not God. But if it's not faith, it's sin. And you can look into the, the voting booth and you can you look into the educational system. You can look into our marriages. You can look into our relationships. You can look into our... Um, our, our um, uh, our entertainment you can look into all sorts of things everything our, our 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 finances you know what sort of stewards we are with the things he puts in our lives everything's in seed form whether it's money or time or or love or you know whatever so did i did i did i sow those seeds today whatever form it was whatever various talents and and abilities he's put into my care were they based on faith and what i thought was right based on God's word or was it just something that I insisted on having my own way and then you can deal with that with God and and with others and hopefully he'll make you help you a little bit be a little bit better the next time but I think I think I'm going to finish here today I've got some more things on my heart but I want to stop right there because we've we've gone right at it a little over an hour and uh, I think we'll just pick up and have a sort of a part two next week. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your grace. We know we can't separate the two, Lord, because they depended upon each other for us to have understanding, to know what is of grace and what, what it 
what it truly does provide for and what it does empower us to do. We thank you, Lord, that we are what we are based by the grace of God. And we thank you that your grace is not covering the sin in our life, but your grace has come to set us free from the sin that entangles us so that according to Amos 3.3, where you say, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? So you freed us from the bondage of sin. And so we don't go back to that. We, we stay unhindered so that we can walk with you in agreement with you and know you better and fellowship with you better, Lord. And we thank you for this truth that it empowers us to do all the things that you call us to do. We can be a Samson, Lord, and we can tear down all of the things uh, that are opposed to you in this life uh, with the strength that you provide us with, not our own. And so we are thankful that you have forgiven us, that you do not condemn us, that the grace of God has been established and that it is for us on account on account of Jesus, not on account of our behavior. We don't have to earn grace. We just have to believe you for it. And in the midst of the storm, when we've opened doors, when we haven't lived as holy as we might to be a good reputation for, of good reputation for you and for your church and for the kingdom of God, and we've allowed the enemy to come in, that hasn't changed anything regarding the way you feel about us and the way you provide for us. So help us to remember this when we make mistakes so that we don't run from you, Lord. We run to you. And we thank you for this, that we be helped by this, healed, empowered, knowing that you love us and that you want us to prosper and be in good health even as our souls prosper. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.